What's up guys? You're listening to the Beer Savages podcast. This is your host Abhinav and joining with me today is my co-host Anudeep. What's happening dude? Hey, what's going on? Uh nothing much man. I you know, I was just looking at this whole uh, you know this whole chaos happening around right now, the Ukraine and Russia thing. It's it's fucked up. Oh man, yeah. It is fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, we got a roll. Yeah, on the flip side, I heard of this um great state dive uh, fest oh yeah that's a that sounds very interesting doesn't it with 18 plus breweries and you know about 40 50 beer styles to be poured in spread over and the three days and that's what's uh, more exciting for me is like you get to try 16 beers uh 16 different beers each day for three days yeah i guess you, if you are in pune or let's say in maharashtra mm-hmm. uh, for 3 days you won't be able to cover that that many beers or taste that many beers as what you can do at that fest exactly so i think it's a great opportunity for anyone who wants to yeah. uh, try all these different beers and then you can also meet a lot of people out there as well all definitely maharashtra community is going to be together yeah that'll be great man you get to meet a lot of people from the industry and all the beer enthusiasts yeah. and uh, you know i i should plan for that yeah man so sounds exciting. yeah it's happening on uh, i guess like 4th to 6th of march right? yeah right yeah awesome so what do we have in store for today well today we have um something interesting for the consumers listeners uh we're going to talk about some of the most common off flavors in a beer oh yeah much necessary yes absolutely we got to distinguish between the good ones and the bad ones and let the people know so I'm just going to get started on this. Many times when you drink a beer, you have uh, the flavors which are desirable, the flavors which are not. So, according to you, what exactly defines an off flavor and how does it stand apart from the flavors which are, you know, desirable and common in a beer? Right. So, for me, an off flavor is something that's not desired in a specific style of beer. Mm-hmm. Uh but it it may be a characteristic of another beer style. You know, for example, uh let's say for fermentation derived fruity and spicy flavors are not desired in lagers whereas uh, you know it's a it's a trait in most of the ales just likewise something yeah. like a diastole is not desired in many beers but it is acceptable in uh, low levels in beers like you know czech lagers and some of these british ales and irish ales of course there's a debate about drinkability whether it's drinkable or not so if a beer mm-hmm. is not drinkable it is, it is what it is um but usually some of these off flavors in low levels might still be drinkable uh, but like you might not be able to expect what you typically get from that beer so basically yeah. something that's not uh, expected in that beer style is considered as an off flavor it doesn't have to be something that's weird funky or it doesn't have to be something that's like intense uh, you know it can be anything that is not expected out of that style so that's my take on off flavor so um, what do you think of uh, off flavor like how do you define it yeah you've actually uh, constructed it well uh, it's pretty much the same i'd wanted to say and um, just wanted to you know touch upon some of the things that you've mentioned and like yeah i mean there are desirable flavors there are some flavors which are not desirable but again you know there are some off flavors which some people even find it you know okay to drink with like say lower levels of um we're going to go over this in deep but just to touch up on like people might like diastole or maybe you know uh, oxidation flavor which is more sherry like in the 
barrel aged beers right. so there are some which are desirable off flavors as well mm-hmm. but do you want to since you spoke about the definitions do you want to just go over some of the i know there are plenty of off flavors in a beer and we're not going to be able to cover in one episode it's going to take a lot of time but just for our listeners do you want to go over some of the common off flavors which are found in beer yeah i mean there are like certain off flavors that you might notice in beers uh, be it in a craft brewery or maybe in a packaged uh, beer yeah um so i think first one we can touch upon is uh, dms which stands for dimethyl sulfide mm-hmm. yeah this belongs to the sulfur group and uh, it often comes from its precursor which is smm s methyl methionine so again this precursor is usually found in malt Uh, so what happens is like when you're making beer it is reduced to dms just below the boiling temperatures so that's how this dms is formed usually and uh, it is described as cooked corn sweet corn cabbage baked beans or wort like or even tomato paste like in dark beers mm-hmm. uh, so this is how uh, you can perceive it uh, coming to the sensory assessment i think since this is a sulfur compound it is best captured in a distant sniff and uh, mm-hmm. a, a drive by sniff where you kind of follow that vapor trail to capture this compound right and uh, it's usually acceptable in low levels in beers like cream ales um, and some historic beers like kentucky common and you know the pre prohibition lager and pre prohibition porter So I think that's all I got for DMS. Do you want to add anything to that? I uh, know that's basically it. Uh just wanted to add um, our own experiences here. So when we were trying out the uh DMS uh in the form of a uh, spiked wheels. Oh yeah. So when we were doing that, I've noticed that you know I was taken back as to how it tasted like because in some cases uh most of the times it smelled like uh sweet corn or a you know cooked corn. and then in other cases it also resembled like sort of a cooked cabbage so there are many descriptors to this and you know it's like everybody yeah. perceives it in a different way right but yeah you just uh, just got to keep looking for it uh, and match as many descriptors as you can yeah that's why i'm very curious with uh, what descriptors people come up with because right. you know the more information you have on these descriptors uh, the more you can relate to yeah. uh, at least may- maybe you might not perceive it as like corn or you may be getting it more in the lines of like cabbage or wort like right it's up to a person to uh, on on the way he perceives it so right. it's always good to have as many descriptors as possible when you're uh, trying it out of a spiked sample mm-hmm. i think um i'm not sure about you but um i've had a, a dms and some of these uh lagers that i've tried at a couple of uh, local microbreweries uh-huh. you know the dms levels were like so high that it really ruined the taste uh, the whole flavor of right. of that particular beer right so, so i guess the concentrations must be super high you know it's like at that point of time it will be completely undesirable it will throw you off yeah i think like even in low levels it as as a normal person like who's like a beer enthusiast I don't think you'll be able to uh, point it out unless right. you are a geek and you know much about this off flavor but absolutely um, and do you, um, like do you think uh, DMS is volatile uh, since it's a sulfur compound 
uh, it tends to be a little volatile right it is a sulfur compound yes and sulfur compounds are usually volatile and uh, but i don't agree to the fact that let's say you pour a beer in a glass i don't agree to the fact that it escapes right off the uh, glass yeah. like right after you pour it it it's not it's not the case for me in my experience right. i feel like when i swirl the glass i kind of perceive that sulfur compound even uh, throughout my tasting uh, you know it's exactly, not that yeah. yeah so that's one thing that i really debate <laughs> about uh, it's like yeah it is volatile but um, it's not that you're going to drive off all the sulfur when you swirl it for the first time because mm-hmm. uh, you might drive off a little bit which stays on top but maybe there's some exactly. more sulfur accumulated uh, in the beer so absolutely and i completely agree on that because i've faced the similar experience as well uh, because you get a dms and then you wait for a minute it goes away again you start agitating it it comes back up again so totally agree with you on that all right so moving on from dms uh, i'm just going to go over the diastyl which is one of the most common flavors again and uh, diastyl is you know naturally produced by the yeast during the fermentation mm-hmm. and again at the later stages or at the later phases of it it is then reabsorbed by the yeast again so uh, diastyl is generally perceived as many ways but to start off with it's perceived as butter popcorn um and or like a movie theater popcorn um and right. butterscotch so these are some of the descriptors that it can be perceived uh, via the aroma but it can also be tracked down mm-hmm. on the palate uh by it causes a slick mouth feel like a oily slickness in your mouth as well so these are some of the you know perceived uh, descriptors and uh diastole uh, you got to swirl it and then take in in short sniffs um and yeah as i mentioned it can also be felt on your palate as well um acceptability i would say diastole is acceptable in most of the english english ales um and also it is of course considered as a flaw in lagers unless it's a czech style lager so czech premium pale lager or any other lagers um diastole is acceptable but only in lower concentrations anything above that is again undesirable So yeah that's about that's about it um Anadeep you want to pitch in and add in something to it Yeah I also think that uh I mean I agree with you in terms of uh the development of this off flavor uh it it is highly de- derived from the fermentation of yeast and also by uh lactic acid bacteria like lactobacillus and pediococcus Oh right yeah so so this is a case like it may appear in an immature beer or sometimes due to the dirty draft lines and that's cause of this lactic acid bacteria that right. kind of uh, infects your draft lines if you don't clean them at least uh, once in every 14 days you know right uh, when you're doing sensory assessment it's always good to swirl the beer and take like these a uh, couple of uh, single shot sniffs and uh, mm-hmm. if you're blinded by the aroma and i think you can pick it up by slick sensation on your palate if yeah. you know that's one of the I think it can be another good indication of uh, uh diastole in a beer. Right. So when you usually uh, pick a beer which has diastole, how do you perceive it as? What are your personal uh, descriptors on this one? I often get confused sometimes like if it's in uh significant levels, I kind of get that butterscotch buttery thing. Um yeah. and uh 
in the low levels i often find it hard sometimes um uh-huh. you know often it's a little confusing of like okay let's let's see i'm getting something which is in the lines of like a yogurt or you know some sort of this a uh, dairy thing yeah uh, but but it's you know it takes a little while for me to break it down to see whether it's diastole yeah. or something else uh, what right, do you think right. of that <laughs> yeah absolutely and i as you keep mentioning about this it reminds me of our uh, off flavor tasting as well and then this one time when we popped in the diastole oil uh, we started sort of smelling it like or perceiving it as a yogurt or like lactic you know gives you that lactic sourness impression yeah and we were taken aback by surprise like wow is this what diastole is yeah cuz you know if if you so. look at it um the flavor is it's it's you know it's also created by the lactic acid bacteria so it's it's not like a right. surprise that you know um you all of a sudden get getting confused with these other off flavors but yeah i mean that's yeah. pretty much um you know that's a case when at le- at least when you do it for the first time uh, there's often a yeah. lot of confusion and uh, i uh, think yeah. for people out there if if you guys want to um, really experience diastole in a beer without uh, without a while um, maybe uh, you know a good example would be a check premium pale lager or any kind of check lagers are usually with uh, low levels of diastole so you might find it in in those beers and uh, most of these uh, british beers like the bitters and all the stouts or you can go to a brewery which has dirty draft lines yeah so you can uh, yeah that's a case like if you think of um, so there are things about dirty draft lines right sometimes it can be diastole or it can be more like this sort of lactic sourness um right. but yeah so in the packaged beers if you're able to get chag lagers um that's a good one and uh, especially the pilsner oakwell cuz what's interesting for me is uh, when i tried uh, the chegwa budwar um the another chag premium pale lager i didn't get any sort of that diastole at all mm-hmm. but i think it's a signature for pilsner oakwell and uh, right you know there's also irish red ale um where low levels of uh, diastole is acceptable um right, and i right. think i typically get something in the lines of uh, uh you know that i think there's an interlap between these uh, malt flavors which are sometimes you know that caramel uh, and uh, uh toffee right. and butterscotch uh, more in in the lines of that i always find a little bit of that you know that kind of uh, butterscotch character in these irish reds uh, sometimes yeah and i think in that in in those flavors uh, it kind of gets sandwiched and it feels more like these flavors are desirable right in lower concentrations yeah yeah absolutely absolutely toffee caramel combined with a bit of diastole right 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 so yeah uh, let's uh, move on to another one uh, we got acetaldehyde so it belongs to the aldehydes group so this compound is a precursor to alcohol which is formed during the early stages of fermentation so especially when the yeast is subjected to the higher fermenting temperatures that's when you create a lot of these compounds and uh, it is reduced by yeast into alcohol so this is like a pathway that leads you to alcohol um, while fermentation and uh, it appears in immature beers so if your beers are not ready yet and you're trying to put it on tap uh, where you might notice a lot of acetaldehyde still remaining in the beer so you got to give it some time for the yeast to convert into alcohol 
so it is described as a green apple like or sometimes bruised apple pumpkin latex paint underripe avocado fresh cut grass so a lot of these descriptors uh, again it, it's really about uh, the way you perceive it um, so yeah sensory assessment for this uh, keep swirling the glass and take a distant sniff and also like couple of uh, single sh- short sniffs so you might be able to uh, capture it so in low levels it's uh, like acceptable in these commercial industrial lagers you see out there and like something like these american mass marketed lagers uh, and also the ones that we see in india a lot of these beers have that kind of uh, what i perceive as more in the lines of a bruised apple in these beers hmm um yeah so it's like this uh, oxidized apple like you know this yeah. the apple turns a little brownish and i think that's what i noticed in in these uh, commercial lagers that we have in india hmm. especially when when the beer gets warmed up uh, i notice it a lot yeah um so what do you think of this yeah pretty much what you've said and you've covered all the bases well and uh, just wanted to add my experience to this uh, oh, yeah. this this is more important because uh, we've done at least i believe I, as far as i remember we've done two off flavor tastings and then for the first one i perceived it as fresh cut grass and then followed by green apples interesting and then when we've done it for the second time if you can remember uh, we've started perceiving it as an avocado and yeah again i was like taken aback by surprise um, you know all these flavor descriptors they align so well so it's like a broad range for all the flavors where you can you know pick and choose whichever is relevant to your senses yeah so i think it's so, about it's about that uh it's also it also depends on the way you perceive it at that moment so it can change quite a bit right that as well so like you said you were perceiving it in a different way uh like for the first time compared to the second time so yeah i used to think of it as a green apple and it's funny how the whole industry has uh, uh pretty much focused on uh, green apple a lot Uh, and right. uh, which might not be the case for everyone so i was like uh, when we uh, had the spiked sample for the first time and i was like desperate to pick that green apple which wasn't the case for me i yeah. think uh, <laughs> more like more like a, a green avocado like an underripe avocado that actually felt yeah. uh, more relatable for me right right yeah and once you once you get hooked on once your mind uh gets hooked on to a flavor you can't go back again if you start thinking as uh, underripe avocado again backtracking it and going back to a fresh cut grass or green apple would be hard is what i've seen so yeah moving on to another popular or a common off flavor it's a sulfur um like compound wise it's written as h2s um and the definition of it so in general sulfur compounds and in this case the sulfur off flavor is produced naturally again by yeast during the fermentation um and and it is done more so by uh, lager yeast strains so it is typically driven off during the fermentation uh, through the co2 outlet uh, so majority of the co2 you know drives out the sulfur flavors but there are still there might be still few compounds of it left and that is what we perceive as sulfur off flavors So yeah speaking of perception sulfur 
smells like uh, boiled or rotten eggs so when you boil an egg and then you know sort of split it open and then you start smelling uh, uh, sulfur and or not sure but in some cases it might also smell like a burning match but you can correct me on that later uh, if it's not relevant but volatile yes uh, sulfur compounds tend to be volatile as we've discussed before so in general you just swirl it uh, and then sniff it from a distance uh, do a couple of short sniffs uh, and try to capture that acceptable in uh, not many of the beer styles but again in lower thresholds these are acceptable in lagers um, but the concentration have to be really low and not overpowering because it can just throw you throw you away it's not a pleasant aroma uh, so yeah anything to add to that anudeep yeah i think when you look at uh, sulfur it's basically two compounds that you have uh, so one is uh, hydrogen sulfide like which is h2s and another one is yes uh, not as common which is so2 sulfur dioxide mhm so h2s is more like boiled or rotten eggs or sometimes it's like farts um so mm-hmm. and uh, sulfur dioxide is perceived as like these burnt matches ah i see yeah so they are like a little different uh, so but usually produced during the fermentation uh, be it ale or a lager this compound is produced in all beers um, but since it's a volatile compound and uh, ale yeast ferment at like these warmer temperatures uh, so that uh, you know the activity will be higher and uh, the sulfur compounds would mm-hmm. be released much quicker compared to a lager which ferments colder um, so that's yeah. why lagers usually take a long time to drive off that sulfur compound um from the beer right so like you said it's not desired in any kind of beer um but low levels it's still you know like it's still acceptable in some of these mm-hmm. lagers and uh, also in some of these ales which are brewed with high sulfate water so that is that can also give you some sort of that uh sulfury rotten neck kind of a thing um especially when you mm-hmm. drink beers uh like uh, uh like english beers like bitters or english ipa which has like this high sulfate content in the water oh, okay. so that gives you some sort of that sulfury note as well mhm oh okay didn't know that yeah um but yeah i think uh, um any my personal experience was uh, pretty straightforward i think i was able to capture it um from the spike um mm-hmm. i'm not sure when was the last time we did the spike but uh, yeah. i'm sure i had the spike once and uh, it was yeah it's still volatile but you should be able to like when you swirl it you should be able to capture it in a distant and drive by yeah. sniff yeah what do you think of this yeah exactly and it's it's not like a it's not a flavor which is subtle so you can i'm sure in if you're doing the off flavor kits i'm sure it's pretty evident and you know um, often i've noticed uh, in few microbreweries where i've where i've tried the hefeweizens uh, when i used to swirl it or agitate it i used to pick up the sulfur compounds uh, more likely the rotten eggs in this case um, mm-hmm. and also a few lagers as well did you pick up any of that sorts obviously it's not a good example of hefeweizen but have you come across something like this Yeah I think uh, I picked it up mostly in the wheat beers the Belgian wheat beers right 
yeah yeah i, that I is found a uh, yeah i found uh, uh in fi- in quite a few cases i i was able to pick the sulfur and uh, even for any any beer like you know ale or a lager if it's not uh, given enough time for yeah. fermentation or if it's fermenting at like like all at these colder end of temperature ranges mm-hmm. then you might not release a lot of sulfur and if you rush it uh, you might still have it in in the beer final beer right so let's uh, let's move on to another off flavor which is sour so sourness in beer is typically created by lactic and acetic acid bacteria like when you talk about like the one difference between lactic and acetic acid is lactic acid bacteria where you have lactobacillus and pediococcus they bring in some sort of this soft lactic acidity in beer while acetic acid bacteria like acetobacter brings like a vinegary acidity which is little sharper and more intense yeah and uh, so if i have to describe a sourness from lactic fermentation um maybe there are few descriptors like it can be like this bright lemony tartness or sometimes it's yogurt like tartness mm-hmm. or any kind of this dairy um products right. and uh, from acetic acid it's more like vinegary like a balsamic salad dressing uh sensory assessment uh, lactic does not have much impact uh on the nose so it's uh, very much towards like the taste assessment where that is a best approach and uh, uh i think re- using retronasal technique is really good f- to capture the acetic acid yeah uh, and uh, when you look at the acceptable beer styles it is not a desired trait in any beer except for where it is desired so what i mean by that is usually if a beer is sour it is considered as infected and you know contaminated by bacteria yeah so there are some beers where it is controlled uh, or where it is desired like you have lambics um, flanders mm-hmm. sour ales and uh, something like a goza berliner weiss and other mixed fermentation beers where it is typically desired where like you might see brewers pitching right. pitching that in or sometimes they do some sort of this spontaneous fermentation uh, just in the case of lambics mm mm-hmm. So what do you think of this one? Yeah, like you said, um uh, you were mentioning about sensory assessment where uh, lactic or the acetic uh, flavors can be captured more uh, or the you know the acidity can be captured more when you're in the retronasal and we right. sort of experienced that while tasting Flanders red, right? There was yeah. very much evident in the retronasal. Yep. So it's a good point that you've mentioned other and Um yeah I mean speaking of my own experience uh, I believe we've done uh, a lactic and acetic side by side in terms of our off flavor kit we and did. it was a really good exercise yeah. you know as to see how the intensities are among these two whereas mm-hmm. lactic is you know sort of lower intense and then acetic is more higher like you mentioned vinegar like so yep. it was really good um, example yeah I think and, uh, um, for people it's really you know if someone wants to perceive lactic acidity in a beer it's better to try something like a berliner weiss or goza yeah uh, so they are like pretty much driven by lactic acid fermentation to get that sourness so you get some sort of this lemony tart um, bright acidic notes which are softer than the acidic acid yeah. 
so so these beers are really good to you know get you understand the lactic acid flavors and uh, yeah. for for acidic acid um, you know like you said flanders ales are like very very popular for that and also another thing with this sarness is um, infection right so in the brew house or like during the process of production or packaging it it can be anywhere where there's a possibility of bacteria infecting your beer right and uh, also in the dirty draft lines um, yeah that which, as well yeah i think i've i've perceived a few beers uh, from these local microbreweries which were sour just from the tap lines i i guess there it can also be that case because uh it's funny that you know sometimes i get a chance to discuss this with brewer and we taste the samples from uh, the bbt the bright beer tank mm-hmm. and we taste the sample from the tap line and then we realize oh shit this is different so there's definitely oh, yeah. that kind of sourness so you when you backtrack it uh, sometimes you'll be able to notice this might not be an infection in the brew house but this can happen due, due to the dirty draft lines exactly right yeah yeah seems like a good exercise uh, it's a good thing to compare two samples and see how they compare against each other but um right then moving on to the other one uh, which is the oxidation and in general oxidation has a so it is an off flavor in beer that is associated with aging aging of beer and an excessive level of oxygen when it is introduced to a beer can create a lot of oxidation and you know the flavors which we're going to talk about going forward so and again oxidation just to put it out there it's a broad category uh, it has a lot of it has a lot going on in there right so in general it is perceived as um, some of the common descriptors are papery you know it looks like a wet paper or or a wet cardboard um, in some cases old books as well uh, which i haven't perceived it as so far but it's pretty common as well so anything to do with a paper so just to keep that in mind um so to uncover this just you know just like the other ones two repeated short sniffs um it's evident on the aroma as the you know cardboard like uh, aroma and often it is more evident on the palate as well uh, it also leaves your palate with a cardboard like dryness so your palate's going to be super dry uh, once you finish your sip so it's that's how you detect this one um acceptability no but again there's a flip side to it as well it is also desired in again in smaller thresholds uh, where the flavor kind of changes uh, so in in barrel aged beers the beers tend to oxidize but that's you know often perceived as sherry like flavors which are more desirable in these sort of beers these sort of aged beers mm-hmm. so it's acceptable in those but in general no they are not so yeah anything to add to it anudeep yeah i think when you look at oxidation it's it's i often find people talking about beer as oxidized and um it doesn't help anyone to understand what they mean by oxidation like you said it's a right. it's a broad term uh and you know it it defines a set of chemical reactions of um you know how the flavor changes as the beer ages yeah so i think the the like when you talk about oxidation it's not just that papery thing which is uh, trans to nonenal this is a compound that is formed on the hot side of a uh, brewing process mm-hmm. and uh, later perceived as papery wet cardboard like uh, or old books like you said 
mm-hmm. uh, but there's also other changes that happens in oxidation right so you see let's say let's say oxidation is inevitable in a beer so you cannot stop it you can slow it down but you cannot stop it mm. so when the beer oxidizes as it ages uh, you see the hop flavor and aroma drops and uh, hop flavors also shift more towards like this tobacco black tea and berry like um, which is very yeah. interesting uh, I, i don't i don't mind that <laughs> at all <laughs> and and uh, malt flavors also malt shifts like the color gets uh, darker and and the malt flavors tend to become like higher in intensity and displaying like some sort of like like honey flavor all oh, the way yeah. up to you know caramel toffee to dark and right. dried fruits i'm i'm sure we've had this experience right, many right. times from our vintage stash so and uh, the hop bitterness will also fall fall off and uh, it'll be lower and lower and uh, the balance will shift towards that malty sweetness so the beers mm-hmm. might be perceivably more sweeter So yeah in the later stages of oxidation uh, a beer develops like this stale or papery wet cardboard like flavors uh, and and this is a case when you subject your beers uh, to like higher temperatures warmer than like the room temperatures and uh, it's it's it like quickly it'll turn into this kind of papery uh, flavor right. that uh, you often perceive on the palate and uh, and sometimes like you said it's more like that pleasant sherry or port wine like flavors uh, depending on the style of beer yeah so even further i think the beer develops flavors of acetaldehyde or it may taste like an unfermented wort so that is like the final stage of oxidation oh, interesting where the ethanol ethanol gets oxidized and, uh, and it gets oxidized into acetaldehyde mm-hmm. um yeah i think for me like the sensory assessment was like you mentioned that kind of like the dryness the cardboard like kind of this dryness yeah. um i also get something similar to that like when i uh i remember the spiked samples that we had and yeah. uh, obviously we had to spike it a lot because it was like the first time we were like trying this off flavor mm-hmm. and uh, i remember perceiving it as that kind of papery thing uh on the nose and uh, on the palate it was like it was like cutting off the entire flavor profile of a beer it's like cutting short of that profile and i'm ending up with some sort of that dryness which i don't think astringency but this dryness is yeah. more like a uh, i feel like it's just cutting off the flavors of the beer like the the finish it's cutting off the finish for me yeah and i heard that it's it's uh, perceived in both orthonasal and retronasal so it's good for uh, assessing this off flavor in both ways i see yeah it's a uh, It's not at all desired in most beers, except there's certain beers that age well uh, under certain conditions where you get this sherry port wine-like notes. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's look at the other one, which is uh, light struck or skunky. So it is formed when the UV light uh, it can be like from the sunlight or artificial light uh, when this UV light reacts with the bitter compounds in hops. uh this reaction occurs so this can happen as quick as in seconds depending upon uh, the exposure intensity of the light mm-hmm. it is uh, described as skunk spray road kill um which there are like listeners from like europe or asian countries who might not be familiar with this skunk yeah. uh, spray so that's why we have another descriptor which is like a fresh brewed coffee and uh, sensory assessment 
it is best captured in a distant sniff and also a drive-by sniff. Yeah. It is not desired in any beer and always always prefer cans or brown bottles to kind of like avoid getting this yeah right skunky flavors and always keep your beers away from light as much as you can yeah um so you want to add anything to that um i want to add uh, or basically like just to touch up on what you've said you've said uh, you mentioned about the descriptors being skunky and um yeah of course in asian countries there are no skunks or at least i know there are no skunks but again despite right. me being in the us when you know i just got to know about the off flavor uh, and when it was described as uh, you know skunk spray but i never know how it is and how it smells or tastes like but yeah the good thing is that we we have the wheels we have the spiked wheels and that's how i got to know uh so still up to this day i don't know what the skunky flavor is but i i know how to identify the light truck flavor like you said also pick up the beers which are in brown bottles and we've already done uh, anudeep has done a short episode on this so if you want you can just go back and you know get more information yeah, think, on that i think we can put it on the show notes yeah, yeah. we're going to do that as well but yeah that's pretty much it on the skunky flavor but i think uh, you know like like you said it's funny you said uh, uh, you don't know how to relate to skunk but <laughs> you know that flavor you can identify it but you know you cannot say it's skunk or not but you know you you can recognize it from the wheels that we tried yeah even the same thing for me man like i <laughs> i just like okay i think oh this might be skunk because dude i've know, never seen a skunk <laughs> me too me neither like you know we we stayed for quite some time in the us and yeah. it's <laughs> i mean I, i i never like again that's like it's not the skunk but it's like that skunk yeah. spray which is more intense right and it's a, it's a it's a quick experiment right like uh, our listeners can also do that uh, maybe pick up a you know a bottle of kingfisher in a green or maybe in a clear bottle you get those ultra ones in a clear bottle um expose it to the sunlight for about 15 to 20 minutes is that right uh no it's like i mean you can do that but it's it's one or two minutes is just enough oh, okay. if you have like this direct that's sunlight that's quick then yeah it's very quick it's under it, it's under a minute actually nice um, so that's a quick experiment for the listeners out there maybe you can try yeah, those yeah. out and let us know <laughs> so one thing i i think uh, like when we are picking up a beer to do this kind of experiment Uh, let's say you're picking up uh, Heineken or Kingfisher uh, make sure you pick pick the same one like a uh, uh, let's say for Kingfisher ultra you have this clear transparent bottle right yeah. and also you have a can of ultra mm-hmm. and uh, pick those from the cooler uh, not from like the warm uh, like right. the warm shelves uh, in a retail store because you never know some of these retail stores have this kind of exposure to sunlight which i really hate Uh, mm-hmm. and also when they are transported they might not be in a good shape so whatever the case may be let's pick it up from the cooler um, pick this transparent bottle and compare that against uh, 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 the one in the can of uh, the same beer obviously and right. uh, take those like from the from your fridge and just keep them under the sunlight keep the can versus this transparent bottle uh, for about 2 minutes i'd say so and then take it in and uh, you know do a side by side comparison and this is like best captured on the aroma you might like you, you won't get anything on the palate so it's just on the nose yeah so compare that side by side and uh, 
you might not be able to recognize like oh this is kanki uh, but you might be able to say there's a some sort of like this subtle difference that you will find in the skunked version so it's yeah. it's a really good experiment to do um, so if anyone wants to try it uh, you know just do it and let us know what you think of that uh, we are really curious to hear your experiences absolutely yeah just give us a comment and then just mention your you know descriptors as well uh, yeah. it's an easy experiment so you can get started on that right away all right um right then moving on to the last off flavor uh, it's it's metallic it's called metallic and it happens uh, with a poor water source uh, you know and also it can also happen when when your beer or the raw materials get come into the contact with a poor quality metal Uh, or a machinery for that matter so it sort of inhibits all those metallic flavors as well uh metallic is perceived as smell of iron or you know metal like uh it can also be perceived as pennies coins or any any flavors which are linked to that um ink or blood as well um and the best way to you know to see to test it is you can you can probably dab a drop of beer on the on your palm and sniff it uh, that will give you the aromas of uh, metal and coins like i've mentioned before um is it acceptable in any beer styles no it's not acceptable it's neither acceptable nor desirable as well um so what do you think about this man yeah i think like you said it's mostly driven from uh, the concentration of these metallic ions in your water yeah and uh, also like if your brewing equipment is rustic or like if the beer is exposed to any sort of that metal yeah um that's like iron because this ferrous sulfate is the compound uh, of that metallic of flavor so yeah uh, it can be with that rustic brewing equipment or like any any kind of this uh, metal that comes in contact with the beer that gives out this uh, note of like this you know blood like pennies or copper right it's also like from my experiences i noticed that when you drink the packaged beers especially in the bottles um on the crown caps so when you shift it back and forth from like the super cold temperatures to normal temperatures and Uh, let's mm-hmm. say you freeze the beers like le- you bring it from a retail store it's warm and you want to like quickly cool it and you freeze it so that kind of creates this sort of a uh, moist environment around your crown caps and you take it outside and then you know it just like the over time i find some sort of this rust formation on the crown caps and uh, on the neck of the bottle so also with the bottle openers you know like sometimes you see some sort of that moisture development on on the um bottle openers um, when it's yeah. in especially in that uh, wet environment and uh, over time the bottle openers can also get rustic if it's made of this you know these metals yeah and uh, and that can also like when you open the cap it's very easy for that uh, metallic note to stay on like around that neck of the bottle mm-hmm. so for me there was a case when i was uh, trying these beers and i was getting kind of a metallic note and at that point i didn't know i was thinking i was putting a blame on these commercial breweries that oh you know they're making beers which are metallic but i was wrong like they would not make beers that are metallic <laughs> and it was just due to my rustic crown cap and i had to wipe off my bottleneck 
uh, which actually helped a lot so um, that's another thing and also uh, in some of these uh, beers and cans you know something like a beck size i always find it to be like this tinny metallic thing uh some sort of that metallic note i pick from uh, these cans as opposed to bottles so um, yeah that's yeah. that's a little weird i think you know at some of these uh, so this might not be as common in the craft breweries as what from what i've seen but i've noticed in a few instances i don't know why this happens for me but i noticed this in some of these darker beers mm. like in these craft breweries uh, for instance i picked it up in a uh in a milk stout at one of these breweries okay. and uh, also in in a brown ale um so it was like i mean i confirmed it by taking a drop of it and like you know i wiped it on back of oh, my yeah. hand for a few seconds yeah. and then i smelled it and it's like oh yeah this is metallic and sometimes i often get confused with this i find i feel like you know basically you cannot perceive this as much on the nose yeah uh like unless you wipe it on your hand and do that uh but rather like you'll get it quickly in the taste um but yeah so when i get confused with the aroma i i wipe it off my hand and see and confirm it if it's really that or it's just a something else that i'm perceiving it as metallic yeah exactly yeah you know while even i was tasting a few beers i thought i had picked up metallic flavors um, but then just to be sure i used to you know sort of dab it on the palm like you said and that instantly gives you uh, you know the revelation of metallic flavors sometimes i didn't get it on my palm but you know that kind of proves it that there's no metallic flavor in the beer yeah yeah and uh, there's also another off flavor i would say i really want to touch on uh, i know we haven't discussed this but i feel like we can touch on astringency yeah. which you know we perceived it many many times and we still perceive it to the day in some of yes. these beers uh, that are available to us um so astringency is it's more like you know let's say if you want to describe it it's something like a uh, it's perceived as this puckering sensation uh, in the mouth feel uh, so it's like this kind of like a a little uh, harsh dryness yeah let's say you like something like you're sucking on a tea bag and this is a uh, cost due to the tannins and polyphenols that you often find in uh, these dark malts uh, the husks yeah. of these dark malts and also the uh, the hop compounds like the the green matter the vegetal compounds of hops that usually are higher in uh, tannins and uh, you know when you uh, dry hop a beer a lot or you dose a beer with a lot of hops and you might notice this kind of uh, uh, like this harshness kind of a harsh dryness um mm-hmm. in lingering in the finish and after taste uh so yeah again this is more like this mouth feel sensation thing mm-hmm. uh it is not typically like desired in all beers but in some beers it's still acceptable like uh, probably like a flanders red uh and uh, and some of the styles where in low levels it's still acceptable um but uh, yeah i think for me in my experience i've uh, noticed it a lot um many yeah. many times and like you don't have to get a spiked sample to notice this um like exactly, let's say yeah. you maybe you just like it's like sucking on a tea bag or like you just like squeeze that tea bag and squeeze every little drop of it and like you know if you find those uh, last bits of uh, uh that 
um, you know the drops that are like very very astringent mm-hmm. again this usually comes more from the ingredients and uh, less from the process yeah, right um, but i also think that as the beer ages these compounds uh, like all these polyphenols uh, they kind of like form these complexes like the bonds with proteins in the in the beer and they settle down um, like uh, with the age mm-hmm. and also for like these barrel aged beers uh, there there might be some sort of this tannic note that comes from the wood yeah right yeah so uh, you got anything to say on that astringency in terms of describing tea, uh, sucking on a tea bag is a good descriptor like once yeah, you yeah. or or maybe if you steep the tea bag in the water in the hot water for too long even i think that can draw out some you know tannins and give you more like astringency yeah yeah and yeah i think acceptability wise like you said everything else but it i think it's also acceptable in um, darker beer styles like stouts as well right due to the you know tannins drawn from the uh, roasted grains is that right uh i think specifically maybe if i look at uh, something like bjcp uh i don't think the specifically mentioned uh, astringency like as a as a desired thing but mm-hmm. but okay. typically it's it's a common thing that you notice in some of these like these uh, dark beers like uh, probably some if someone is making irish stout or a yeah american stout or imperial stout where there's a higher chances of using these uh, yeah. dark malts uh, like this black malt or roasted barley uh where it's 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 very uh possible that you derive these uh kind of uh, um, you know this astringency mm-hmm. uh, from the dark roasted grains and uh, and that's why it's very important to really uh, keep your temperatures like on the hot side at uh, at a low levels where you don't draw all these tannins from the grain husks yeah and uh, yeah it's very interesting to see how brewers play around with this because uh, you know i've i've noticed this thing where some of these uh, beers are made in a certain way that uh, you don't uh, get that kind of astringency from the husks like what they do is uh, they they don't add these dark dark grains in the mash mm-hmm. rather they'll add it uh, in the lottering okay so that means that uh, the possibility of these grain husks uh, to be in contact with this uh, hot water is less yeah so you don't you 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 derive a lot of uh, uh, color and flavor but you won't derive that uh, kind of uh, astringency from the husks because it's not in the contact time is less with the wort the with the yeah, hot man. water i mean i can i can sort of relate to this uh, you know why cuz when i started home brewing all we've done is use extract kits initially right so yeah when i picked up the extract kit for the uh, oatmeal stout that i was going to brew uh apart from the base extracts uh, i had to add in a few uh, roasted barley and other specialty grains as well so what they've done is they've give they gave me a milled set of grains and i had to steep them at the end of the boil so this is something right, more right, like right. to get, get the color extraction and like you said not to you know get those astringent grainy flavors right right yeah 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 i think that pretty much sums up uh, astringency and uh, yeah. Uh, i think those are like some of the most common ones and uh, um yeah any any closing thoughts before we uh, end this episode yeah man uh, just wanted to say all the listeners out there we've we've also given the lowdown on all the off flavors and you can sort of 
replicate um, in you know in some manner some of them are very easy to replicate so you can probably start doing that to get a sense of what these off flavors are um, everyone has you know varying levels of sensitivity to different off flavors um, you know once it's all about you finding your own indicating points to a, a specific off flavor and once you do that it will serve up as a reference for future evaluation um, and yeah i mean you have to you can backtrack it to your memory as to what that off flavor is um and again the best way to you know pick up the off flavors or the identify them or you know get acclimatized to them is to try as many beers as you can um you know that explore every brewery even when the ones which are shady and deserted because that can be a perfect example for off flavors but because you know you never know what you might find over there right and yeah and, and just the other one would i would say is if possible just get your hands on one of these uh, tasting kits off flavor tasting kits that we were talking about they are really helpful uh, find a mule from someone who's coming in from abroad um it, they're not they're very easy to carry and you know very helpful once you start doing that as well what do you have uh, for the listeners yeah i some some really good points there from you and i i think of it in a similar way um where if you can afford for uh, these uh, off flavor wheels that you know that will be great yeah um especially when you're new to this and you really want to get deeper into understanding uh, yeah. what this off flavor can be so there's no better way to do it than getting uh, wheels from any of these uh, institutes that offer wheels so you mm-hmm. got something from aroxa I got something from Siebel and uh, I think we got uh, a brew Mobia. essentials. Yeah, I think we yeah. got uh, so Mobia has this brew essentials kit. So this is a right. company that brews uh, so we, I think we we got like 24 pack, 24 pack, right? Right, we, right. Not sure. Yeah, and we're going to link everything down the show notes so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that'll be that'll be great and uh, yeah, like uh, you know, it's interesting like what from what you said uh, many times when we start our beer journey, we might find something that's like not a typical trait of a particular beer but it's often yeah. hard to break down uh, what it is especially when you're begi- beginning your journey into the sensory of understanding beers it's often confusing that okay I'm, i get something but i don't know how to say it um so it's good to do this off flavor tastings and i highly highly recommend if yeah. you're a brewer watching this uh please get your hands on these wheels and uh, I, i mean it's always good that uh you get to do this uh tastings with your team so that everyone yeah. is on the same boat so when you do the tastings with the wheels it will make sure that everyone's on the same boat because you're tasting the same thing and uh, you're able to relate it to uh that more easier than when you individually go out to a microbrewery and perceive something else you know yeah. so it's always good to do that uh, as a brewer with your team and also I also go ahead and say that it, it's really good to do with your whole sensory team in a brewery or if you have like the servers who must be able to identify some of these flavors like uh, like for a tap room let's say uh, something like a diastole or sour which mm-hmm. is a high probability that you get uh, in some of these beers from the dirty draft lines or whatever the reason may be and uh, yeah some some of these things like dms or or uh, yeah i mean so so those like dms diastole and acetaldehyde are like three that maybe sulfur too and all all these yeah three four compounds that are like 
really good to do the sensory with the with your team uh, in a microbrewery and so right. yeah that's what i think man uh, get out there and try as many like as many wheels as possible and also uh, like abhinav mentioned uh, you know hit up um, all the shady breweries yeah. like you did like you did couple of weeks ago dude it's it's essential <laughs> man like you know if how do you have an appreciation for a good beer unless you tried the shitty ones <laughs> you know absolutely <laughs> so so yeah it don't think of that as a loss think of that as an investment towards uh developing your palate or refining your palate exactly yeah that's all i got to say so uh yeah i think i hope uh, you guys got something out of this episode and uh, if you did uh please give us a shout out on uh, your social media platforms and uh, you know keep listening to us uh, recommend us to your friends and your yeah. community of beer enthusiasts like always we really appreciate your support it really means a lot and uh, yeah uh, can't wait to be back with another episode until next time join us and embark on a journey as we seek enlightenment in beer cheers, cheers.